Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And with great responsibility to lead and to shepherd the flock of God comes great authority. And they're to be respected. We carefully selected them. We are to carefully and thoroughly respect them. And we are to carefully remove them when necessary. Now, in an anti-authoritarian culture like today's culture, disrespecting authority is a common occurrence. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we live in such exciting times where people have questions and concerns and fears, and we have the answer, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God. The revelation made more sure from the one, the true, and the only one who saves, Christ Jesus. Help us to love the lost, to love each other, to gather together around your word, to be fed, to be filled, and to be fueled to go out and do what you've raised us up to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. And we are continuing our series in the pastoral epistles, which we call Church Matters. Church Matters matter to God, and they should matter to us. Today's message is Church Matters impeaching an elder, something that we don't do every day, hopefully. And it's, it's subtitled, Answer with Care, Handle with Care. And before we go any further, I want to thank Pastor Chris, as you turn there, for last week's message and standing in the pulpit. For me, I've preached that passage twice in the last 20 years, and I thought it was time for somebody else to do it. And I appreciate the way he approached it with uh, joy and, and, and great courage. But uh, yeah, and we had no idea. It was, you know, things... All things work together for good, that it was Pastor Appreciation Sunday, so who knew, right? But anyway, what I hope you're seeing, though, through what Chris taught and what we've seen in the pastoral epistles is the importance of doing God's business God's way. We have this blueprint for doing church that many churches and many groups have lost sight of today, and that is the pastoral epistles. And 
One of the things we're seeing right now from 1 Timothy 3 to the qualifications of elders to 1 Timothy 5 is that elders are important. The role is an important and critical and essential role, and it is a role that is so misunderstood. And in many times, in many cases, in many circumstances and situations, it is a role that is so underappreciated. But the role of elder and elder governance and elder leadership is essential to the health, to the, not just the survival, but if there's such a word, the thrival of any congregationally led church, any congregational church. Today, in in our culture, we've lost an understanding of what a congregational church is. It's a church that elects its representatives, that chooses spiritually qualified men to lead it. That's a congregational church. It's not a pure democracy. It's uh, elder governance is the basis, even of our own federal government, where we elect representatives. It's, it's grounded and rooted in the law of Moses and the word of God, representative governance. And so, so far, we've discussed the qualifications and we've discussed the need to respect elders, to honor elders, and now we're going to talk about the need to remove some and how we go about doing that. Or we could call this, and it's a much heavier sounding word, the uh, discipline of an elder. You know, we're fond of saying in today's culture that no one is above the law. This passage reminds us that that's true of the church first and foremost, because so goes the church, so goes the family, so goes society. And so in today's passage, we see just that. I want to sort of take us back to the purpose of the pastoral epistles just to remind you in case you're joining us for the first time or maybe you've forgotten a little bit, but the pastoral epistles show us how the church is to conduct itself. And we see that in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And we've read this purpose statement of uh, 1 Timothy several times now, but it's a great song and it's worth keep on singing, right? So it says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The church is the basis of all ministry. So goes the church, so goes all ministry, so goes mission, so goes denomination, so goes everything. And the church is the bride of Christ and she is to be treated appropriately as are her leaders. We are to carefully choose them, we are to respect them, and if necessary, we are to remove them if they, if they violate the tenets of their office. And we'll talk more about that in a few moments. And in 1 Timothy five nineteen through 21, we see how we go about this. We see what this looks like. And in 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21, we read this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that, there's the purpose, the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing 
from partiality. You know, we live in an age in popular culture where we say the accuser must be believed. And depending on who the accuser is and on who the accused is, you know, we just go with the flow. But we see that's not the way. That's not God's way. Do not admit an el- a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. A couple of comments here. We, what we have here is a warning against extremes. You know, as a fallen people, we are sinners saved by grace. Living in a fallen world, human beings are creatures of extremes oftentimes. They either see the elders as untouchables who are not to be questioned, or on the other extreme, they treat them like dirt or like hirelings or like something else. And why is that? Because we live in a fallen world. But when we go to discipline or impeach or remove an elder, we had better be very careful. Why? Because while they are servant leaders, they are leaders. Make no mistake about it. And with great responsibility to lead and to shepherd the flock of God comes great authority. And they're to be respected. We carefully selected them. We are to carefully and thoroughly respect them. And we are to carefully remove them when necessary. Now, in an anti-authoritarian culture like today's culture, disrespecting authority is a common occurrence. But we want to be really careful. And I think uh, when I was looking at how to put together an outline that you could remember that would stick with you, I was uh, drawn to grammar and adverbs. So I want you to think in terms of L-Y words that modify verbs. If you're going to remove an elder, you should do so carefully, you should do so publicly, and you should do so objectively. So let's talk about that. When considering the removal of an elder, it must be done carefully. When necessary, done carefully. Where do we see that? You see that in verse 19. Do not admit a charge, an accusation, against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is a negative command which demonstrates the gravity of the situation. This is not something anyone is to do lightly. This is something to avoid if possible, but to do if necessary. And all too often it's taken too lightly based on sometimes the popularity of the decisions that elders make or the unpopularity. And, and again, I said already, in today's culture, people don't respect authority. They don't, and people are censored and they are deplatformed and they are forced to resign because of popular opinion. But I want you to think about the text terminology here. A charge. Do not admit a charge. The word charge there has to do with an accusation of near criminal uh, character. It's not something... It connotes a crime. It's something concrete. It requires evidence. It requires witnesses. 
Somebody can't step forward and level a charge and say, well, I don't know what year it was. I can't remember where I was when it happened. I can't, you know, I have some people who might can back me up. No. Names, dates, time, places, locales, witnesses. Impeachment is to be a rarity. the, the, The leadership of a church is not to be a revolving door. And I know in our culture, and particularly in the woke culture, we're always demanding that people step down. But that is not the biblical culture. Chapter three speaks to the qualifications men above reproach husbands of one wife not given to much wine not prone to contentiousness and above reproach really speaks to the character and you know what men with character make difficult decisions sometimes unpopular decisions I remember about 15 years ago somebody came to me in my office and they said I want you to remove all the elders and I was like, uh, okay, why? Well, I just don't agree with the decisions they make. I don't like the decisions, and so they're not above reproach. I was like, seriously? I said, it's not a popularity contest. I said, the reason that they were selected, the reason that they were chosen from among the congregation and put in authority over the church was to make difficult decisions that not everybody would approve of. And as you look at the text... I'll call this guy Frank. It's not about what you like. It's about what is right. And so you just can't say because you don't like what they did that they're not above reproach. You know, and this is part today of our 21st century feelings-based culture. But we don't deal in feelings. We deal in facts. You know, you'll hear me say this a lot. I'll say this in leadership meetings. I'll say this in my office. I'll say this to people. I don't care about feelings, and I do care. I don't, I'm not out to hurt everybody's feelings, so don't leave here today and say, Pastor Keith doesn't care about our feelings. But I care about what the facts are. Facts are stubborn things. And no matter the, the depth of our feelings or the depths of our passions, the facts are not changed or altered by how we feel. And so you see this in the text, this great care. And let me show you what I mean. Look at the two witnesses feature. You know, don't receive a charge against an elder without at least two witnesses. And that goes back to the law of Moses. Two plus witnesses were required in a criminal suit or a civil suit in ancient Israel. And in every case, if it was a capital crime, if it was anything serious, we would call it a felony today. Two witnesses were to bear witness to a concrete violation of divine legislation i.e. sin it was to be principle over preference and bringing a charge a frivolous lawsuit in those days could cost you dearly it's kind of an interesting study in character today the western legal system is based on the deuteronomic uh, legal system and the united kingdom if i sue you and lose if I bring a frivolous lawsuit if I make a false accusation against you I have to pay your attorney's fees court cost my attorney's fees nobody works on contingency and that you know what guess what they have fewer lawsuits than we do here it doesn't work that way but biblically it does how do I know that because in Deuteronomy 19 verses 15 through 19 we see 
the basis that Christ uses, that Paul uses, that the Bible uses about witnesses, at least two witnesses. This is the basis for 1 Timothy 5, 19 through 21. Let's look at it together. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong that's legal and civil in connection with any offense he has committed. Only, that means only, always, on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Now watch this. Oh, if this played out today. If a a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord. This is the basis for, you know, taking a vow in the Bible, so help me God. Shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. So if it was a capital crime and you falsely accused somebody, guess what? You were executed. If you were suing them for their house and it was a false accusation, that doesn't mean that you, you were mistaken. It means it was a false accusation and you wanted their house. You lost your house. You wanted them in prison for 10 years. You went to prison for 10 years. You see how that works? That keeps false accusations down. But it also shows the gravity, the gravity of our passage. Because that same principle is being carried by God from the Old Testament into the New Testament. In fact, the first place it pops up in the New Testament is Matthew 18, which is the church discipline passage, which is the passage that shows us how to confront sin within our own church family and how far we are to go if someone persists in that sin and on what basis we consider the sin in and of itself. And let me walk you through that because it's the same principle that's applied to elders. There is no partiality. There is no partiality. What is sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander, as they say. And the basis for this is Deuteronomy, the teachings of Jesus. You know what? It's the same theme all the way through the Bible. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So we deal with these things privately to start with. We don't start talking about people. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Some translations say won your brother, persuaded your brother. But if he does not listen, if he persists, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses so the two others you or one other you take with you is like the judges in the old testament in that passage that we saw in deuteronomy they you know they go with you to hold you accountable and them accountable and then you make your case based on not feelings but facts the evidence of at least two 
or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, as an unbeliever and a traitor. That's what that means. But what we're seeing here, and make, let's be very clear about this, even if an elder has done something dumb, the goal is restoration. You know, you confront this person in private and you try to win them over. If they won't listen and they're truly in sin, you bring other people into the equation. You see this escalation. Like Matthew 18, a charge against an elder, an accusation has to be fact-based and not opinion-based. There has to be at least, at least two eyewitnesses. And that works to keep people honest, to dilute opinion-based attacks on elders or pastors. You see, elder removal must be by the book, not the whim. It's not up to opinion, it's up to the facts. Look again at verse 19. Do not, this is a negative command, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. This is the idea of due process. I was watching a a, a survey, it was a video survey. People went to the University of California at Berkeley and were asking students if they were in favor of suspending due process for those who they disagreed with. You'd be surprised how many said yes. But you see, we're talking here about real charges, real crimes, real witnesses, real evaluation, real evidence. It's not about what we want. It's about what God wants. It's about worship. It's about witness. And so, if we're going to deal with an elder, if we're going to do something, if we're going to rebuke or to to remove an elder, it has to be done carefully. Carefully. And when it comes to an elder's impeachment or removal, it also, regrettably, if they persist in sin has to be done publicly. That's our second adverb, our second L-Y verb. When necessary, done publicly. Where do we see that? We see that in verse 20. It's right there. When necessary, done publicly, and why? Verse 20 gives two reasons. As for the one who persists, for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Why is it done publicly? Because they have persisted. They've been confronted privately, just like in Matthew 18, and it's been determined on the basis of at least two witnesses and based on the evidence that there is a problem and that they persist, that they refuse, then you rebuke them publicly in the presence of all, that all may fear. And that word all there There are people who debate, does that mean so that all the elders will fear and say, I hope I don't fall into that trap myself? Or does it mean that the whole congregation will fear? Because church discipline and elder correction and impeachment is supposed to have an inoculatory effect. There are circumstances that go beyond differences of opinion. And when there is unrepentant sin in the camp, it must be addressed. It must be called out, particularly among the leadership. Now, this doesn't mean that there's an intramural spat on the elder board about something. It doesn't mean that there's a spirit, there's not a spirited discussion. 
However, when we detect a pattern of behavior that is sinful, it has to be dealt with. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Amen.